We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. Just one more thing. Hey now. Oh boy. Holy mechanical armies. Mom always liked you best. Oh, she did. <laughs> you wanted to be one way. What is the other way? One of these days. Are we having fun yet? It's gonna be legend. Wait for it. Now, you might very well think that, but of course I couldn't possibly comment. Bertie Helens agreed. Oh, come on! Missed it by that much. Good evening. Hello, and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Insights TV podcast. This is Kate Kalsik, and I'm joined, as ever, by Simon Howell. Simon, uh, have you completely <laughs> lost yourself to sleep deprivation yet? Uh, not quite, but you know, you know. Actually, if you're not sleeping much, you know what I also recommend is um, diet and exercise are a good thing to do while you're also not sleeping. I find that helps a lot. <laughs> I'm lying. I, I don't recommend doing that at all. Working out, you know, you know, like if yeah. you're, you're not exhausted enough, go go, you know, walk five miles and then come back and exactly. eat, a, eat a salad. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a it's great good. way to keep it's your energy up. Yeah, don't have that caffeine. <laughs> Good times, but uh, yeah, it's been uh, an eventful full week for you, an eventful week uh, for TV. So let's just jump in with the comments from last week. Uh, we heard from a bunch of you guys. It was great as ever to to, to get some feedback. Uh, first of all, I wanted to mention a thank you to Shannon and Ken for keeping me entertained while I waited at the music box to get into 2001. There was a, it was a touch and go there for a while, but... I very much appreciated the back and forth. Um, then we talked uh, DS9 with Shannon, my, Matt, and Ken, and Caprica with uh, Matt, Shannon, Dan, and Ken as well. Uh, thank you for your suggestions for that. Of course, at the end of the show, we're going to be having our DVD shelf on, on Caprica with Chris Pierce. So it was helpful to get episode suggestions from you guys. Very much appreciated. Um, from Mario, we heard about Bunheads, Girls, Walking Dead, Vampire Diaries, and The Amazing Race Pool. He seems to approve of your picks. Uh, yes, well, I do too, obviously, because I made them. But if you want to know what they are, you're going to have to join the pool because phooey. Because, come on. Uh, also heard from Bill, who is our medical correspondent, as it were, for the Walking Dead podcast. Of course, we have a separate Walking Dead podcast with the two of us, as well as Ricky D, who is the general editor of Sound on Sight. And that should already be up on our our podcast feed in iTunes, as well as uh, and its own separate iTunes feed, as well as at soundonsight.org, of course. But... Uh, Apparently, our issues with um, the coming come and goativeness of Rick's PTSD is appropriate, and they were thinking the same thing. So I feel a little better because I've been kind of wrong okay, about good. that, but I feel a little better. We also heard from Keith, who ha was having some troubles with iTunes, but apparently it's worked out, and he's also very excited about Vampire Diaries, so a, a new development. He wants to know if he should jump back in. Um, should he jump back in, Simon? Uh, with reservation. I mean. When you say jump back in, like, yeah, sure, jump back in from, like, a week or two ago, and then don't bother with anything. <laughs> okay. We'll talk more about Vampire Diaries later at the, at the end of the show. Of course, this week, as you probably could tell from the title of the episode, we are actually spotlighting Vampire Diaries as well as Spartacus. It's a very genre week here at, at the Televerse, as if it was, every week wasn't a very genre week at the Televerse, but this is an extra extra one in that case uh also heard from bondo about uh and and richard and amanda about the oscars we'll have plenty of oscars talk you once again made the correct simon call of i didn't watch those effing oscars come on 
Whereas I didn't have strong opinions on that. So we'll talk about that a little later in the show. Also, well, I, want... I have strong opinions about why no one should watch the Oscars. So stay tuned. What? Yes. And I, you will get, you'll get your equal time. You'll get your equal time. And the last, uh, of course, all, Shannon and Ken and I talked to uh, Judy Garland and musicals, which also kind of ties in a little bit unintentionally with the Oscars. Cause that was on Sunday morning. But I, we also should mention before we get into our week in TV, uh, it's the 400th show for sound on site. Congratulations. Well, kind of. the, technically speaking, it's the 350th show for Sound on Sight, but with 50 sorted cinemas, it's our 400th recording, stretching all the way back to the radio days. And yeah, I, I, I haven't been there quite from the beginning. I think I joined around episode 12 or 14 or something, but I've been, you know, pretty close. Well, so, and you have yeah. an extra 78 for, from Televerse, so <laughs> between the Sound on Sight yeah. podcasts. <laughs> So I'm working on 500, basically. Yeah, yeah, beating it down. But yeah, that, so there's a special podcast up. Yes, we did a, we did a, an extra long podcast. We brought in some old co-hosts. Uh, unfortunately, not all of them. We tried, but we couldn't get all of them. Uh, but uh, yeah, we brought in older co-hosts to have sort of some miscellaneous chat. And we also reviewed Goodfellas because it's it's on the Sound on Sight top 10 well, uh, staff it, list. It's it's Goodfellas. That's enough and it's of also a reason. Goodfellas. We we brought in we had a four host, uh, basically circle circle jerk about Goodfellas. It was a good time. Good times. That that, that sounds uh, like it'll be entertaining listening. I suppose. Uh, before we get into our week in TV, I did want to mention uh, a few words about Golden Boy, which is a, a police procedural that's premiering this coming week. It's going to be on CBS, and you can already watch it up at the website at CBS's website if you'd like to get a, a and jump on. Is what you have. Is what you have to say about it? It is a CBS police procedural. Pretty much, I will say that there's there are some some nice touches, and I actually think the opening sequence is pretty good. I really like that this because the whole the main meat of the show is a flashback, How I Met Your Mother style. That I have no interest in. I really wish they hadn't done that as much as I enjoy Richard Kind, and it's great to see him getting a paycheck for two minutes of work each week. I guess. But I did really like, uh, it worked a lot better than I expected, and I did really like, actually, the way that everybody on the squad has no time for this for this young cop, and how he immediately starts trying to point out these Sherlock Holmes-style amazing observations, which immediately get shot down by everybody else. Uh, I, I very much enjoyed that approach, especially given Elementary, which I, I've checked out more recently, and, and still, my opinion hasn't really changed on that series from when we first reviewed it, so... I, it's not interesting enough for me to stay around. I do very much like the cast, though. Of course, Chai McBride and Kevin Alejandro are, are both on the show. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it's one that I'll, I'll jump back in with. But with us adding Southland to our rotation, I mean, why, you don't need Golden Boy when you have Southland. So I'll just stick with that one for now. But let's get into our week in TV, which is going to kick off with the Tuesday comedies, New Girl, Mindy Project, and Cougar Town. Let's start with New Girl, Parking Spot. Uh, you know, the most of it was great, but can I just say that when we got that scene with Nick and Jess and, like, they're trying not to do anything physical, so they're like, they have that weird off in the hallway or whatever. I hate it when New Girl does that. I hate it when they retreat into that, are these characters are afraid of sex, so they do cute things instead. That's, like, my nightmare of what the show is going to be like when, when Zoe Deschanel was cast, and I hate it when it retreats into that dark, scary land of twee and terrible. Jesus. Ooh. The rest was good. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly how I feel about that, that scene, and, and it, it's an, an unfortunately common sort of tonal thing they go for with those two characters, and I'm really, really not a fan. It just... 
I get that they're going for maybe awkward humor or silly humor, but it's just, it doesn't work for me at least. And I'm sure that there are people out there for whom it does work, but I just, it feel awkward and I just want to sort of fast forward. It's like, the, they're not 12. Yeah. It, I, and, don't act like they're 12. And it comes out of almost nowhere. It doesn't feel organic to the characters. It just, and it it's even just the execution of it between the, the two performers it's it's not working but they keep going back to that same that same well and yeah i'm glad i'm not the only one i guess who gets frustrated by that good uh but yes the rest was was good and funny yeah schmidt was pretty great how how does he not have all the awards already because modern family wins them instead Ah, (laughs) because we don't have you know supreme command over the emmys yeah that's how, oh, well. how it works. The other Tuesday comedy is Mindy Project, Mindy's Minute. Uh, I thought that was actually really cute. I liked this episode quite a bit. And you, everybody knew where it, it was going. You could tell it was going to end up with Danny on the air and he was going to just, just botch it. But it, it still, I thought uh, it paid off well and I enjoyed that. As far as Cougar Town flirting with time, we got flashbacks to how each of the various people met. And uh, it was another very Valentine's Day episode where we got the the meet cute for each of the various couples i thought the the way that they built to the final reveal worked really well and it was it yes it was very broad seeing you know flashback jules and bobby who of course don't look it's like ridiculous how old they look for how old they're supposed to be uh, but but I still thought it worked. I particularly enjoyed young Travis meeting Lori. That was that was pretty great. And I, I don't know. I I think they've done a lot of work this season to build on Andy and Ellie's relationship. And I know that's what bothered you most last week when you watched. But I did think that it worked really well this week and and uh, was was pretty funny at the same time. So I really like that one. But uh, following up after these Tuesday comedies is. Perhaps another Tuesday comedy, which is the pilot to Cult. You're next. I saw this back at Comic Con. You just saw it, uh, re- you know, this past week when it premiered. I thought it was walking an interesting line of. There's a lot in there that could make a really interesting philosophical show, or it could just become terrible really quickly. And this pilot is kind of has a little bit of both. So that was me. What now that you've seen it? What do you think? I don't really see how this could get interesting based on what based on what I see. I mean, it just seems very. It seems like a missed opportunity in a lot of ways. Like, for instance, it seems like a great opportunity for C, for the CW to, to show some self awareness and you know have the show within the show be a bunch of really pretty people mm-hmm. and then have the actual show just have some very average people. Unfortunately, they didn't go that route. Yeah. Um, unless they're going for another level of satire, which I really don't think they are. <laughs> um, so I, I, I don't know. It it feels like it's yeah, for a show that's trying to be clever. I don't think it's clever enough. Yeah, I have an extra affinity for the show in that it was created by Rachnia O'Bannon, who was also the creator of Farscape, which is a show that I very much enjoy and you haven't seen. I, I do think that there is an interesting show to be had in the premise, uh, you know, in this idea of examining, examining fandom, examining uh, television from the perspective of, of these cult shows, especially with network TV more and more becoming what would have been cult shows back in the day. Was, I think that there's, you know, something interesting in obsessive fandom, in, in 
reality and, and television and all, all alternate reality gaming. And I want to think that Arachnia Saban is going to, you know, has potential to do that. Seeing as he, he did play with, with genre tropes and expectations quite a bit and really kind of deconstruct those with Farscape. So I'm probably just giving it way too much benefit of the doubt. But the, I don't know. Do, do you see any of that potential there? No. Everything <laughs> you just said is way more interesting than everything on this show. From the characters on the show within the show to the characters in the show itself. I mean, everything is just cardboard thin. And I don't know. And the, the whole idea that people are, 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 are like, just the, the details don't work for me. Like the, the way people are quoting bits of dialogue and putting it on billboards that aren't memorable at all. They just happen to be the thing that people keep saying in this episode. It's just like, I don't, I don't know, like, like nothing in like the individual details didn't hold up to me. And it, 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 it also didn't seem like the sort of show within the show would have like, you know, they, they talk about how that show has like this reclusive auteur creator. It's like the, the people who, who make shows like that, you know, they're, they're like the Shonda Rhimes type. They're like the yeah. people who go out and engage with people and are on Twitter and, you know, make sure to, you know, in, engage with fans and be personable and give interviews. Like, you, you know, David Milch doesn't make shows like, like cult. Well, it's just, I don't None of these details really add up to me. They're also, I mean, it, it's a good point that the show within the show does feel very much like a quasi criminal minds, shall we say? Yeah. Criminal minds kind of, kind of shows those like those more procedural shows. They don't tend to have cult followings. The shows that have cult followings are usually genre shows, usually far more weird and strange, not serial killer shows. And honestly, when I, this my reaction to the pilot probably benefited strongly from the fact that I had just watched the following pilot. Yeah, anyways, I'm going to check out another episode and see see if that's enough to get me to, to, to quit the show. It might be. But let's for now, let's move on and talk about a far more interesting part of our Tuesday lineup, which is, of course, Justified and Money Trap. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is what happens when we record while you're tired. You can't have your Woo! appropriate level of enthusiasm. But when yes. you you were appropriately enthused when you watched and reviewed Justified, of course, your review is up at soundonsite.org. Uh, but what did you what for those who haven't had a chance to read it yet? What did you think of Justified this week? I thought it was a little better than last week. Still not quite up to full strength. Justified, I don't think. It seems like we're finally getting. I, I was actually anxious to get back to the a plot of the season, which we didn't really do this week um parts of the episode really worked parts of it didn't i actually thought raylan's a plot was kind of old hat so to speak ha um, <laughs> hat humor <laughs> yeah you know he you know, raylan goes after a guy who wants to kill him and that's about it which felt weirdly minimalistic for a late ep for a late era justified episode it had some nice touches particularly the video it's nice to have uh, Michael Gladys around. He's now got one of the weirdest CVs in recent TV history, so good for him. Uh, he was, although if anything, he was having a little bit too much fun with his coke binging and being insane. Oh, I liked uh, it. I thought he was good. But um, I thought the half of the episode that had Raylan and Ava meeting Holland Manners was really good. Woo! As much as the scene at the end with Boyd and and Sam Anderson was a little on the nose, more so than I like from this show, I did think all those scenes were great, and I think it puts Boyd in a really interesting position um, for for probably the whole rest of the season. Yeah, if not uh, the series, there's there's a lot of potential there, and we'll see where they take it. But yeah, I would agree that the stuff with Boyd and, and Ava 
probably worked a little a little better, or at least was more tied in with the overall themes. But it, you know, it was nice to have a more straightforward, more season one sort of feeling Raylan for a little bit. It was also when I I didn't realize until I read your review that that the beginning of the episode was a flashback. I just assumed he, the guy had escaped and Raylan had caught him again. <laughs> Not that his buddy, the bail bondsman had been dead for the entirety of, of the season. And I thought, you know, once that clicked, I felt, well, first of all, I felt like an idiot for not realizing it. And second of all... Well, it said six days ago on your screen. Did you not look? Yeah, but I thought that was six days from when it happened. I didn't realize that the entire season has happened in six days. In a week, yeah. That is a bit nuts. (laughs) That's crazy. Um, Yeah. And when you think about it, the the actual timeline of of a season of Justified probably usually is only a week or two. It just incredibly condensed except that it it takes a solid i remember i looked it up one time i believe to get from was it lexington where the where the offices are the marshal offices are to harlan county is at least a three or four hour drive if not closer to five it's somewhere in the driving but i mean the guy's gotta sleep i don't know it that brought up timeline questions for me uh but i don't know we'll we'll see i i I don't need all of my prestige dramas that I very much enjoy to have these ridiculous timelines, but I would assume that because they very intentionally did that here, they very intentionally brought that up as as uh, to make the audience aware of it here, I would assume that there is something that's going to tie into that with the, the arc of the season, with the timing, with Detroit or something else, or with even with Drew, that is going to explain why there's such a clear timeline this season, whereas that has not been the case in previous seasons. Yeah. Um, and I, I, it was odd also to see an episode where Raylan shoots and kills someone because that hasn't happened in over a full season. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I don't think it's happened since the, I, fear, I forget exactly which episode it was, but the episode where he shoots someone through another person, I think yeah. was the last time he killed someone. Yeah, that was uh, that was very, very memorable. Maggie Lawson was in that episode. I remember she was she was pretty great. But um, yeah, but yeah. Let's let's move on though to our next show. There's plenty more Justified coming for us this season, and oh yes, it'll be hopefully nice. hopefully better. One of the upcoming episode titles, uh, I believe, is Get Drew or something like that. So I, I look forward to that. You know, the the Drew uh, storyline heating up. But we'll see what comes with it. Let's move on to Wednesday and Top Chef Seattle finale part one. Kristen is still in. Yes. Uh, although I was, was I the only one who was surprised at that at the end? At the not, end? Not when she first comes in, but at the end when she's, when she stays I on. I thought she was going home. Yeah. Sheldon gets the boot. I don't know. It did, it, I could see the logic, but based on the editing choices, it seemed a little odd. Yeah. Apparently it's um, very misleading editing. Uh, Calico's blog makes it seem like Sheldon's was clearly the weakest. And, and even that Brooks, that, that he, that he would have picked Kristen over Brooke. That is not at all what was conveyed in this episode. But it didn't seem like Brooke really made any mistakes except for yeah, exactly. on the line. Like her food seemed perfect and like they had almost nothing bad to say. For me, the the highlight of the episode by far was actually just the um, the opening segment where we spend a little, a little time seeing what the chefs have been up to in the interim. I thought that was really great. And do they always have a six month break there? Or am no, that's I... pretty common. Well, the, the rest of the season is filmed until the finale ahead of time and then they they go away and the, and they bring the sh- the chefs in the finale back several months later 
so that the, the the finale can be shot much closer to when it's going going to air, so that who who wins can't get leaked. Right, and of course next week we're getting the first ever all live finale or whatever. Yeah, which the... <laughs> could be interesting. Or are they, are, are they in the Iron Chef kitchen? Because that's what it looks like. Yeah, I want. I kind of want it to be Iron Chef, but that is not uh, appropriate. The thing that has me. I mean, I think it'll be fun, especially because they're bringing back a lot of the big hitters from Top Chef's past. And I think if this is like sort of a one-off because it's the tenth season, I'm more okay with it. But the, they need more time. I think, and to not have cameras in their faces. If this is really supposed to be about who is a better chef, who can better prepare, it shouldn't be about who's going to get flustered when they have a hundred people staring at them for every second of their prep. Yeah, especially because I imagine that hurting Brooke. Uh, yeah, I is a little bit more nervy. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. As long-term listen, listeners of the show will know, I love me some uh, Iron Chef, and we're talking old-school, original Iron Chef here. I very much enjoy the you know the various live cooking competition shows, but but it seems sort of like Top Chef trying to be something other than what it is. So we'll see. Hopefully, I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah. Ho- hopefully, you are. Anyway, uh, th- as far as this episode goes, I yeah that the the actual break portion was more interesting to me than the cooking portion yes yeah, I, I suppose i did enjoy Kristen, and so when they ask her about her dessert she goes oh no that was terrible sorry guys <laughs> there's a time to stand behind your dish and but, but there's also time when you just it's not it's just lies you don't it's... yeah and I, I and you know if if she tried to rationalize it they could have very well sent her home absolutely after top chef seattle we have southland heat and uh man this this was a bloody week of TV, wasn't it? Lots of pain, lots of death, lots of uh, emotional turmoil. Yeah, just wait till we get to Archer. Um, yeah, the uh, they the, the producers or somebody must really have it out for Regina King because she just keeps taking literal and figurative beatings left and right, and we're only two episodes into the season. I think they just know that the show is good when she when she cries or when she's upset or when she has you know something juicy to do. Yeah, uh, I mean the the whole ha- taking her mom away right you know right after we've seen her own struggles with motherhood is a little bit you know dramatic irony on the nose if you want to look at it that way but I'm okay with it because she's really good and I'm I'm in, I'm, I'm always happy to see or at least you know I haven't been watching Southland long but it's pretty clear that her character is probably the most interesting. So anything that's going to keep the focus on her and and her struggle, I think, is going to help the show. Definitely, and uh, oh, I did enjoy the little bit of uh, of simpatico, as it were, between uh, you had Bernard on uh, on Justified, and then we have Rose here. But apparently, that's that pair up is not going to happen again on our TVs, at least for a while. Nope. I, I do always enjoy L. Scott Caldwell, Caldwell, who of course is the, you know plays Regina King's mother on the show. So I I was definitely disappointed. That it appears she's that she's dead, right? She's not just you know sick. She's dead. oh no, she's dead, dead, dead. Uh, now, are we supposed to think that it was like a stroke or a heart attack, or is because I didn't see any broken glass, there wasn't any tape. I mean, it was supposed to be an accident, right? I couldn't tell. It all happened so quickly, but yeah, I I, I was under the impression it was something natural. I don't know. Yeah. What about the rest of the episode? Uh, I thought it was all good. I mean, I I really liked uh, everything that happened with the uh, the ex military proby and his reaction to the shooting and all that stuff was was great. And also something I don't can't remember seeing on TV before, where somebody just 
where it just doesn't work for them and they just leave. Mm-hmm. Like, whoop. They're just gone. Yeah. Which, which should... I assume he is. I'll be I'll be very disappointed if he comes back. Oh, he's got to be gone. He took the, the you know, the party took his shield at the uh, I mean this the, there's no way that character can be back. I'll be very interested to see if Chad Michael Murray's character is back after this week. I mean, I don't feel like he can be. Yeah, I don't see how either. I'm curious to see what the show looks like when it slows down a bit, which I, I guess is going to be a necessity for just for the Regina King character to deal with what's just happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and I, I also really dig the relationship between her and her partner. Yeah. I think that they've, they've got an interesting rapport. Well, and I love that there's no romantic tension or anything like that. I, it's so refreshing. That that was when I was watching this and he shows up at, at the bar at the end. I was like, oh, God, please tell me they're not. And then I was like, oh. Oh, they're not. It's something. No, they're really not. They're really not. You Uh, couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah, but I was. I was very glad to have been wrong. The other thing I wanted to mention specifically before we move on is I love the the foot chases in the show. You know, it's so great. It feels like watching Point Break every week. I I love that they 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 feel like uh, I love that you get the really son of a don't run. Why are you running? Um, which, yeah. which managed the actors, I mean, cause that's something we've all heard in so many cop movies, but it's, they managed to make it feel very authentic to their characters and they really sell it. And then just the camera work is really great. And, and you, you have car chase scenes, you have foot chase scenes. I really like it. Not to mention a, what seemed to be a very realistic and by that, I mean, totally unglamorized fight scene. Oh yeah, totally. I was watching this going, <laughs> uh, you know, for, for all the other cop shows out there, if they had their lead female character getting in a fight with a female you know fighter or boxer this would be much more of a cat fight situation i would like to see somebody sexualize that fight i would like to see them try because yeah. I, I mean to... cat fight or like more like a boxing match yeah where they're like where you can yeah, see their faces yeah, really like, well they're like they're like parrying and thrusting no none of that yeah, no no <laughs> pulling hair throwing dust whatever it takes to make sure the murderer doesn't get away yeah it's great yeah Great. So thank you, Simon, for putting Southland on our docket. I'm officially on board and glad to be watching it. Awesome. So You're welcome. <laughs> after our cop drama, we have our spy drama, and that's, of course, the Americans on FX In Control, which this week looks at the, the Reagan attempted assassination. The Americans, of course, just got a season two pickup, so congratulations to all involved. Ooh. We're very excited about that. What did you think of this episode? Last week, of course, we spotlit the Americans. This week, we went a different direction. Do you, is that a comment on the Americans, or is that a comment more on how good some of these other episodes were this week? I guess, I mean, a little of both. I, I didn't think this was quite as good as last week's episode, but I... I... I do. It's an interesting precedent-setting episode for the show because it's the first time they're really tackling, you know, uh, something that they would obviously have to tackle given the time frame, and seeing how they handle it. And we see them not. You know, I, I speculated about them eventually maybe going the Inglorious Bastards route and just disregarding history, but here they're doing something a little with a little bit more finesse, and they're taking a different slant on a very familiar event. It's, and, and if you think about it, it makes sense. Yeah, of course the KGB would be reeling after that happens. And you know, just a, a, trying to figure out if they did it, and then B, trying to figure out if they're going to get pinned for it. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, you know the other, you know, just because it's not them, it doesn't mean that they're not going to go absolutely nuts trying to make sure that nobody thinks it's them. <laughs> and, um, and, there was, and that produced a lot of great drama, I thought. 
surprisingly. Actually, I really like this episode. It sounds like I liked it more than you did. I think I might have even liked it a little more than, than last week. Of course, last week was much more personal, much more, you know, the relationship drama between the two of the two lead characters. But I thought they handled this, this really well. And I really liked seeing a, the particular strengths of Philip this week in, in them, the two of them as a unit. We've seen... We've seen her as Elizabeth as the true believer, as the one who's going to stick stick to the um, stick stronger <laughs> to to Mother Russia and to the mission. Whereas his compassion, for example, in the pilot was a problem and and caused them to miss their their drop. And so it was. I thought I thought it was really nice to see this week that his perspective as someone who has become much more American, whereas she has stayed much more Russian allows it sort of saves them saves the whole situation and and comparing his reaction to the hague news or or that the what what they overhear thanks to their clock as well as noah emmerich's character's reaction when talking to his his mole i love that elizabeth and and the the caviar lady <laughs> have the same reaction yes. and emmerich and 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 philip have the same reaction of that's no. This is not a, t a coup. That's not how America works. Yeah, I, I liked Philip's um, example of of what happened when what happens when Russia's leaders leaders <laughs> are attacked or die. Yeah, what happens when it, it in America? Um, I, I I look forward to reading some think piece about this show's treatment of Americanness versus Russianness and mm -hmm. how accurate it is because I really can't speak to that. But you know, in the meantime, uh, I, I know I, I definitely thought it was a strong episode. I, uh, again, I would have liked a little bit more time with uh, the kids. Although I guess we do get to stuff with Paige sort of starting to hook up with uh, Emmerich's kid. I, that's actually sort of the aspect I'm least crazy about. Even though I thought their scenes were really well written, um, so which is nice. It's nice to have well written kid characters. But yeah, that I'm not wild about. I thought those scenes worked well. I like the way that uh, they her arc sort of over the episode, where she starts out as the the only person not glued to the TV and that bringing that perspective to it, I thought was, was nice as opposed to perhaps a more expected approach that is seemingly more coming now where people just can't wait to see more, you know, terrible news coverage all the time. This notion of yeah. always fighting for ratings and, and really heightening all of the, the news coverage and, and the, and the notion that Americans just gobble that up. I, so I like to see that contrast. Yeah. Oh, and that line about Poland in the in the, early in the episode was a killer. Yeah, that was pretty great. <laughs> there hasn't been too much humor on the show so far, but it it, it could use a little bit more like that, I think. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but uh, let's move on to Thursday and the Thursday comedies, which this week are Community, Conventions of Space and Time, Parks and Rec, Leslie and Ben, and Correspondence Lunch, and Archer Once Bitten. I'll just get Community out of the way at the top here. It's not a good episode. I did very much enjoy some of the um, some of the the Doctor Who jokes that were in there, but they were completely outside of anything about community. But everything about that, that about the show that should be character based did not really work for me. Uh, you had Annie acting completely out of character. They took Annie's back to fantasizing about Jeff. I like that they threw in that she that it's not really about him; it's about her at the end. But I don't know. Britta's not really making a lot of sense. It's easy to forget that she's the one who introduced Abed and Troy 
to to Inspector Space Time, and now she's like, "What's this Inspector Space Time thing? I'm just a girl." It doesn't fit with the the, the personality the show's developed. I don't know. It just this episode was tonally off. There were a couple jokes here and there, but really it was quite a disappointment. If you want to watch a convention episode, go find Supernatural. They have at least two of them, and they're both great. So just watch those instead. Much better. Um, so let's move on to the other ones that, the ones that you have seen. And uh, we had another Parks and Rec wedding. We had uh, the correspondence lunch, and we had Once Bitten from Archer. Which is your preference? Is it Once again, is it Archer? I'm going to have to say it's pretty tight between Parks and Archer because it, was, it wasn't peak for either of them, to be honest, if you ask me. Um, so I just won't make that call. This is the end of the, of the season of Parks, yes? Yeah, this was only episode 14 and 15 of the season. And there's like seven more coming? I don't know why I thought they had a shorter order. Anyway. Well, they haven't scheduled the next seven. We don't know when the next one's going to air, so that helps. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I don't know. I know people were really excited about this wedding episode, which was teased last week was okay i mean i i feel like they bent over backwards to give us as many sort of touching moments and cute moments as as like as possible and i i guess it just made me nostalgic for the um for the last wedding episode we got which was just so impromptu and and felt so off the cuff and didn't have this massive build-up and i don't know this week it just what what was charming before just feels like fan wank to me now and I don't know, maybe that's just me. Well, would that have uh, been improved for you if, if it had aired back to back with the other? And so it was a surprise and nobody knew it was coming? Maybe, but but I think part I think it was a structural problem as well, where it's like we're going to throw up as many obstacles to the wedding, which which, you know, are going to be are going to be brought down by the end of the episode. And I don't know, yeah. it, it felt much more it felt way more sort of rote and I guess structured in like a in like a classic comedy sense, but it, I guess it, it, it just felt way more, way more dull to me than it should have. Oh, I really liked it. And when you're talking about throwing up uh roadblocks to, to a wedding as somebody who helped throw a wedding in two months, uh, throwing a wedding in a day there, that's going to happen. You, you, it's, it's like, it can't be done. And so when they, what they come up with at the end is nothing like what they wanted. And it, it barely kind of works it's not really a wedding it's just a it's it, it's it's a wedding it's their wedding and it's very fitting for those characters i like that we did get a sh- mention of the parents i don't believe what they say their their explanation for it but you know whatever at least they mentioned it but i don't i thought it worked i really liked it uh come on ron ending up in jail punching out a jam but also just the way this like his body posture the way he punched like that was all great yeah, it was all right. I don't I know. Like I, the dress. I guess for, I guess for me, like I have to come to terms with the fact that 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 for me with Parks, this se- like this is pretty clearly the season for me where Parks transit quietly transitions from top shelf comedy to thing that I enjoy. Okay, and that's kind of it. Like it, I don't know. I, I kind of feel like for me, Parks as as a really transcendent sitcom is kind of over. Okay, and may, may, maybe it's just the over familiarity with the characters, and I feel like we've 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 kind of stopped learning new things about them. And about the parks department and about Pawnee and they're sort of recycling older gags, which is, you know, which is amusing. They can get a lot of mileage out of that. They're good gags, but I don't know. I kind of feel like the invention has kind of stopped. Yeah, well, you know these characters now. You're not just discovering Ron Swanson. You're not, you know, you're, we're, I think they're doing a good job of transitioning April. And in this epi- in these episodes, you get a little bit more with uh, Andy as well. I think there's still places for them to grow, but um, 
definitely the show got a shot in the arm with the introduction of Adam Scott and Rob Lowe. And, and then they, that gave them material that really helped the, transition them into that next level, like you say, of really great comedy. And uh, that's, you know, there's only so much mileage you get out of new characters. And I'm okay with the familiarity of it. I, I do think I really like this, this wedding episode. I thought it was right up there with the other one. Um, they, I like that they managed to do a, a second surprise sort of wedding and at least for me it it worked whether it's maybe it's not as great as that first episode with april and andy's wedding but it's still you know i thought it really, really worked and um i would agree it's not as great as as it's been in its past but i don't know i'm i still very much am liking parks and rec i, I laugh every week and that's really all i can ask um do we want to mention anything about correspondence lunch uh it, you know as, as i think we've already mentioned there was clearly a scheduling snafu Mm-hmm. That happened here, and it should have been last week. Except they put the, this tag scene on the uh, at the beginning to make it clear that it was after the wedding, which felt very tacked on. Oh, I um, enjoyed that though. <laughs> the volcano and the the box, and uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, it was I, cute. I liked it, but uh, you know, fair enough. Other than that, it was yeah, a pretty standard episode of Parks, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we also had Archer once bitten. You said this was not up to stand, uh, the best of Archer for you. No, and I, I kind of feel like it's been a few weeks since we've seen Archer in peak form, which is a bit worrisome. But I did really like this episode uh, in in general. The obviously the uh, Arch, Archer's spirit guide being uh, being Peter Serafinowitz doing a terrible impression of James Mason was fantastic. Yeah, uh, and I, I I like how I immediately identified that it was Peter Serafinowitz. He's been on the show before, and he's got a very distinctive voice, hmm. and it was very clearly Serafinowitz doing James Mason, uh, which I enjoyed. <laughs> I you know I've I've seen Here Comes Mr. Jordan, which is the original Heaven Can Wait. I mean I've seen that that that, that uh, story so many times, and I I like most of the versions that I've seen actually, but uh, I thought that was such a nice nice uh, fun touch. I love the James Mason bit, and I did not recognize Serafinowitz, but hey, anything that gets him uh, more money and more more time on my television is a good thing as far as I'm concerned. So it was nice to have him pop up. I, I was very glad when I saw his name in the credits. I guess I'll say. Yeah, I, I, I would have loved to have seen them put James Mason in the credits just to see if anybody said anything. <laughs> yeah, but uh, hopefully, I would agree, it's not been the best season for Archer. It's actually, I think, probably the weakest season of Archer so far. But it's still, I mean, it's still a really great show. There's, I just, I want them to get time. back. There's still time. Yep, yeah. But let's, speaking of there's still time, let's move on to Sunday and uh, the Oscars. There was a lengthy show this time. It was it went it went thirty five minutes long. Sweet lord! Uh, and yet I didn't care because I loved the Oscars this year. I think it's the best telecast I think I've ever seen. It's certainly the best in 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 my memory. So if there was a better one, I don't remember it, and that's saying something. I have a two thousand word piece up at Sound on Sight defending the the Oscars this year, the telecast, and especially Seth MacFarlane as the host. And I I know you didn't watch, and you have no interest in, in watching. So I'm going to try to keep it short. We'll see how that goes. But I just wanted to, to just kind of briefly talk about a couple of things. Cause of course, if you're interested in my fuller thoughts on the, the show, just go ahead and, and, and read my review at sound on site. I didn't, don't get into the picks, just the, the, the show itself. And I guess the thing I wanted to, to talk about here was that I don't understand all of the charges of misogyny that are being very, heavily thrown around in regards to to the Oscar telecast and the reason for that is I think you can make a joke about anything 
it just is harder to make jokes about some stuff than other stuff. And I think the way that you tell whether a joke is going to work or not, or whether a joke is going to be offensive, is you look at who the the joke is, is aimed at, who is being parodied, lampooned, made fun of, who is who's the, you know, the, the joke making fun of. And so when you have something like, we saw your boobs, which is the opening song, a very catchy song, I might add, sung by um, Seth MacFarlane and and, uh, and and a large ensemble. That song is not, to me, misogynistic because it's not making fun of women. It's making, as far as what I see in that, especially because you had, they had Naomi Watts and, and Charlize Theron and and Jennifer Lawrence come in to shoot reaction shots for the bit. If, when, when you watch that bit, it cuts to the women and they are creeped out and angry and embarrassed by this person. It's not making fun of them. It's making fun of the person going, oh my God, boobs. Obviously, it's an incredibly silly, juvenile, ridiculous song. But we're not, I, at least when I watch that, I don't think I'm supposed to be laughing at women, I think I'm supposed to be laughing at Seth MacFarlane and that sort of juvenile approach to cinema. And the fact that all the, all the, the, the movies that are listed off, like for Holly Berry, he doesn't say swordfish. He says monster ball, monster's ball. For most of the, the names, at least that I caught, were, were, were films that were Oscar nominated and where the performance was Oscar nominated. These are, a lot of these are really great movies and all this guy can take away from it is that there were boobs so i don't think that's making fun of women i think that's making fun of him and when you have a joke about uh how kavanjane wallace who's only nine has a whole 16 years before she's too old to date george clooney that's not making fun of kavanjane wallace that's making fun of george clooney for dating children he should date somebody his own age that's so so i just i'm not seeing the misogynist remarks I don't understand where all this is coming from. To me, look at where the joke, who at whose expense the joke is being told. And I don't know. I just, I, I feel like people are, were looking to be offended and were very happy to find ways to, to, to be offended by the Oscars that, that weren't there, at least for me. Also, I, I do want to mention that I very much enjoyed this Oscar telecast. I wasn't even planning to watch I certainly wasn't planning to watch the whole thing, and I really, really, really wasn't planning to watch it live. I ha I happened to catch the first uh, opening bit while I was waiting to watch The Amazing Race, and uh, because I was waiting for my DVR to catch up, and, and it hooked me, and I stayed for the whole show. So that you know, I this is not from somebody who is a Seth MacFarlane fan, who is even a Family Guy fan at this point. I don't tend to like his humor. I did have no interest in seeing Ted, and really that Ted bit was pretty terrible in the middle. But um, but I I thought he did a great job, and I'm gonna take uh, tack high hopes at the end of the show because I I love they had they had an homage to Swing Time, one of my all time favorite movies. You know, Fred and Ginger have a really sweet place in my heart with a fabulous Channing Tatum and. Charlie's Theron dance sequence, and then they immediately followed that up with Captain Kirk. So, of course, this is going to be something that I'm going to like. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, would you like your equal time on why nobody should watch the Oscars? I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to take anywhere near as much time as you took. <laughs> uh, nobody should watch the Oscars ever. Like, I, 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 if you if you enjoy them for the entertainment value, fine. But I, I, or if this was a particularly well put together telecast, fine. But 
no one should watch the Oscars. They're a useless charade. The the award, the, the people who get the awards are largely laughable. The nominees in the first place are largely laughable. Uh, it, it's you know a, a huge. I don't know. It's just a, it's a Hollywood circle jerk that we just need to not be paying attention to. It's it's to me it's the ultimate. Just don't look, and it'll go away. You'll have nothing to be offended about. You'll have nothing to complain about for six months while you wait for the nominees, and then the nominees are announced. And then the, I don't know. I I hate award season. I hate the Oscars, and I hate people who talk about the Oscars. Not you. I mean, like the Twitter. That's okay. You can hate me too. <laughs> I don't know. No, I I get where you're coming from. You enjoy the spectacle, but I I just I hate people who get obsessed with. And and I do too. It happens to me. Like I, I I get wrapped up in award season, and I'll and I'll start speculating. And oh, I just I hate the whole culture. I ah, uh, and it takes up half the effing year. I can't deal with it anymore. I just no, no more. I, I'm all fatigued out. Let's not air the Globes. Let's not air the Oscars. Let's not air the Emmys. Let's not air the Junos in Canada. Let's not air any of this stuff. Just let them have their private sessions of patting each other on the back, and let's all just live our lives and not do this at all. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely. Normally, I'm right with you. And I, like I said, I didn't expect to watch this year, and uh, did not expect to be so far off of everybody else's opinions. But Amanda and Shannon, and there's three of us. We're not alone. But uh, yeah, so that let's let's move on. You, it's a very valid point, sir. We should uh, actually talk about something that is worth talking about. How about the Amazing Race? Loose lips sink ships. My pick is already out, but I'm glad they're out now so I can make another one while it's still early. Yeah, uh, I'm not feeling too inspired so far by either my pick or just the pick or the teams in general. Mm. It's it, it's kind of sucky that the only team that's worth rooting for already has a, a really bad injury. And I don't see any conceivable way they're going to make it more than three or four more weeks, if that. Yeah. So we're kind of left with a bunch of really uninspiring and or annoying teams. I don't, so I haven't picked my new overall winner yet because I'm not sure who to pick. I would have gone with Pam and Winnie because I do think they're very, very likable. Uh, but they spent so long getting lost. If you can't read a map, you're not going to do well on The Amazing Race. I don't know. I haven't really, I mean, maybe I should go roller derby moms because they seem like they're cool. I don't oh, think I don't they'll know. win, they, though. They seem, they seem really dim to me for some reason. And it's it's not just because they're roller derby moms, I swear. Just I don't know for for some reason they just strike me as not the sharpest tools in the shed. That's but, my problem uh, with the hockey brothers, or else I would go with them. Yeah, because they're obviously super fit, which helps. Um, but yeah, because there's there are some teams that just obviously don't have the the physical resources to get the job done for yeah. much longer. I guess the challenges were kind of fun this week, but it, it seemed to me that the, uh, the 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 place table setting thing was was ludicrously easy yeah it just took a lot of time that's that's what they usually do there's usually a more uh, the faster one is more physically taxing and the slower one is 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 easier so it's less of a physical challenge it, i thought the challenges were, were interesting this week and clearly the jet ski challenge or like the navigating was at least slightly difficult i wasn't expecting that but i liked that there wasn't as anything that looked quite as just soul destroying as those sandcastles in the premiere yeah i mean the, the, with pam and winnie there's one thing about not being able to read a map there's another there's another with not being able to read a map on the ocean and it's like a cloth map it looks like it was drawn with somebody's blood it's <laughs> yeah, just not true. quite the same <laughs> that's so, true 
So I, I'm willing to be a little bit forgiving there. On the other hand, I don't understand people who are afraid of water or the ocean. You're mostly water, okay? Just go with it. It's not being afraid of water. It's being afraid of drowning. That's why you hold – have you never held your breath before? What I, what I will say, though, is that I don't understand why somebody who has, is a, has that phobia of water and can't really handle – does not feel comfortable in the water goes on The Amazing Race. I don't understand that at all. Yeah, no. That, I mean, because you're going to have to. That was to. another thing I was going to say. Yeah. I mean, fear of heights is such a common thing that there's going to be a team who's afraid of heights. They probably even cast for that. But, you know, I don't – it's like that team that year that the team went on who couldn't swim. They didn't know how to swim, and they went on the Amazing Race. Yeah. I don't – Oh, you know. that's another thing. Every team is cool with plummeting from 10,000 feet, but some of them are afraid of being in the effing ocean. Are you serious? Hey. Oh, man. Hey, you know what? It's easy to sit back and and uh, and and laugh and not be like, "Why did you do the?" You know, when when, uh, when when you're comfy at home on your couch. That's all I'll say. Okay, first of all, I'm standing in a very rigid wooden chair right now. Oh, Second I'm of all, sorry. I, you... I am. Re- I will readily acknowledge that I would not have been able to jump out of that helicopter unless somebody pushed me. <laughs> the ocean, really? Yeah. Anyway. Anyways, moving on. Girls and video games. This was, uh, we got to see Jenna's family. This was, or well, her father at least, and her, her, are they married? So that would be the, the, her mother-in-law or stepmother or? I'm uh, not sure. It was never really clearly established. I don't think it's that important. But we haven't had Uh, a lot of Jessa time and they sort of made that up here and we got, it felt like a very clear parallel to the return. Where last season we saw Hannah go home to visit her parents. This time we see Jessa's uh, home. What did you think? It was a decent episode. I think it's clear, or at least it was clear to me when you mentioned that parallel to the return, that Hannah's parents were so much more lived in and and real to me than uh, Jessa's parents, who felt sometimes like uh, had 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 elements of caricature slipping in there and like something that that didn't come from. Uh, you know, a, a, a close at hand frame of reference. Uh, so it, it, I guess it. So it felt a lot more sitcommy to me than the return did, which was sometimes welcome and sometimes not. Um, uh, and speaking of you know caricature, obviously the the nineteen uh, year old that that uh, Hannah sleeps with, if you'd like to call it that, it was funny, but it was also very cartoonish. <laughs> it was. I think that was the, the most awkward scene they've done yet and that's that's saying something do you mean the sex scene or their chat the sex afterwards scene. yeah well afterwards too but especially that sex scene that was wow that was painful though i gotta say the car the the crazy car driving was the most stressful scene i watched all week there was some stressful tv this week that like 30 seconds of of them driving i was like no well and thankfully hannah's reaction was more or less in line with yeah. yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually like this episode a lot. I thought it was really good to get some more time with Jessa. I hope that she's not going to be just gone for, you know, months here. But there's, you know, there's only so much of the ep- of the season left. But I, I did think that it was really nice to, to get her, a little bit of her backstory. Uh, some of the scenes weren't as successful for me. I was torn on her confrontation scene with her dad because she's she's not a child anymore so she you know so when she's when she's confronting her father everything she's saying is 100 percent valid but that does the fact that she could never count on her father 
doesn't make it okay that that her friends can't count on her. And so this notion of you shouldn't have to, you know, you shouldn't have to count on me. You should, if I say I'm going to be there and I don't show up, that's okay because I'm, I'm, I'm the kid, but she's not a kid anymore. She's an adult. She should act like one. And you, and I, I think it makes sense that her actions are very much formed by how, what she grew up around. She's what she saw modeled for her, of course, but I don't know. I'm, so I'm kind of torn. What, what do you think? It, it's a, it's tricky to have a character say, you know, you made me and you shaped me and I'm not right. And because if you have that knowledge, then you should be able to change it. And it's it's a, it's a difficult thing to empathize with. I actually think that my problem with that scene, because every, every bit of the writing made sense to me. I wasn't totally sold on, on the performance, though, from Jemima Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, I in general, I feel like the the. Uh, the leads on this show struggle with these big emotional scenes sometimes. Like, sometimes they work and sometimes they don't quite work. And for me, this one felt slightly short of the mark. Yeah, I thought uh, when you compare it, for example, with the scene we get in the previously on of her confrontation with Chris O'Dowd, that That worked. was a tremendous That was scene, great. Yeah. And maybe it was, yeah, because I was watching it and while I was watching it, I was disconnected from it and sort of having my critic hat on. And I th- I, for me, I was seeing her, hearing her voice. It felt a little too high pitched. It sounded too. She sounded too much like a whining child, you know, like a "Daddy doesn't love me" kind of, you know. And she, which is, I think, counteracts does not work with what she's saying and what and and the truth of what she's saying and how meaningful and at least for me, a hundred percent right on the money she is when she says that, but she says it in a way that feels very juvenile it makes it seem like her whole statement is juvenile when it's not yeah uh that that could be part of it um but yeah i i agree it was nice to get a jessa centered episode it's definitely overdue i don't think we're going to be seeing her again until maybe the finale would be my guess i would like to i would love to see her try to patch things up with chris o'dowd i was hoping that's where we were going because I think that would be so much more interesting to watch her react to. It might not be truthful. I don't know if it would be as truthful. But to watch her react to, you know, sort of realizing some stuff about how she was raised and her father by trying to be different and trying to change. That's something that these characters, it's something we've complained about in the show before. The characters don't necessarily seem to, to grow or change that much, or definitely not quickly. Um I don't know. Let's move on to our final show. Of course, as we mentioned earlier, we already have our Walking Dead uh, review of I Ain't a Judas up in our iTunes feed and up at Sound on Sight. Um, so that takes us instead to Monday and the Bunheads. They're calling it the winter finale, but it's the season finale and the show has not gotten picked up again. So it very well could be the series finale. And that is next. Next! Exclamation right. point. I would be very, very upset if this was the series finale. More upset than I thought I would be when the show started, because I'm I'm really attached to these characters in this universe, and I, I like that we found time for virtually everyone in this episode. Um, I, there were so many great moments. It, I actually think this was one of the best episodes. I I loved the whole the whole audition sequence was was great and uh, really nicely directed. So many uh, great long takes, and um, you know that's the easiest way to, to that's the easiest path to my heart, I suppose. But yeah, and then just finding out that it was all just more or less a ruse was was a really great gut punch, especially after watching uh, after watching her uh, Michelle do so well. Um, every every bit of that was was nicely choreographed. Ha! <laughs> um, but but uh, um, 
And uh, I, I loved everything, that whole montage of the girls and their sex ed routine. And I just there's so many details that no other showrunner would think. Like, they're so idiosyncratic and, and specific to Paladino. Like, the fact that, 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 that um, well, what's her, yeah, that Cosette brings them a 1976 edition of Our Bodies, Ourselves, like, specifically. Mm-hmm. I, I actually looked that up. Uh, makes uh, makes a lot of sense. Uh, or, or things like, you know, Michelle throwing in a Jesus and Mary Chain reference, which you won't even get. But, you know, <laughs> 5% of the audience will and will really appreciate it. Um, I don't know. So many things that you're not going to get from other shows. Yeah, I really, I really love this episode. And um, with, with with that title, because of course, I weeks in advance, I have like the all the episodes we're going to review and the, the episode titles and everything with that. You, with that title, you knew that this was going to be very much centered, at least Michelle's story around an audition. And with what we've see, been seeing the past couple weeks as well, it was clearly leading to that. And of course, there are whenever they've done audition sequences, they've been great. And uh, <laughs> I haven't had to deal with the "you don't look right" part, uh, you know, culling process of auditions. But that uh, that that notion of oh, they they don't intend to hire anyone; they are required to hold auditions, and that's why they're doing that. That's a very very real thing that happens all the time and if you want some uh, examples of it look at the boston symphony which has had four violin openings for the past like five or six years but they hold auditions every year and they just can't find anyone who's good enough how is that possible in boston with in one of the brutal. highest play paying symphonies in the country but they can't find anybody who's good enough um and so that was just so true and so perfectly played watching Watching the Bunheads watch the audition audition process was also pretty great, I thought. Just to see them go, ooh, ooh. Actually, when, <laughs> yeah. when, when Ginny broke down at the end, I thought maybe, because I, I did not, I was, that was a left turn that punched me in the gut. I was actually got a little dusty watching that last scene. But my first thought of what why she was upset was that she had decided that she wanted to go into theater. And then she saw what, what that means and how terrible that can, that can be and that that the reality of what that means for so many people um and then then it went somewhere completely different and i thought it was great but um but no of course sudden foster is fantastic as we talk you know i talk about every week really it was a fabulous episode each of the characters i thought came to good places i like where they ended it with with millie and with truly i thought that was nice and um <laughs> scotty poor poor scotty in this episode too but um yeah there, it was just, it was a wonderful, it's been a wonderful season, and I'm so glad that we've had Bunheads and that it stuck around as long as it has. I don't know. I've been rambling. You talk. No, I think that that's a good summation. We're we're going to try to get someone to come in and, and do a season spotlight with us on it. Yeah. yeah we'll see. We'll see if that works. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to do talk a little more Bunheads, because it's just so nice to have a nice show. I, I And, I mean... Do you want to say anything about that last Ginny scene? She, Bailey Bontane just tore my heart out of my body. Yeah, yeah, she was really, really good. And like you said, it, it was totally unexpected. And, uh, and and a nice counterpoint to sort of like the carefree-ness of the other scenes mm-hmm. in which people discuss sex. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, I don't know. Like it, she, Bailey Bontane is, is great. I think she's probably the sort of the breakout bunhead if you had to choose a breakout bunhead. Maybe it's just because she's gotten the most good material in the last few episodes. But, um, yeah. And I, 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 there's very little I dislike about the show. It's obviously a mess in terms of who shows up when and why and sometimes yeah. the structure of the episode. And it's it can be all over the place, but it's definitely a very charming mess. Yeah, and it's just wonderful to see joy 
on TV. How many shows on TV right now or just ever really show joy the way that you saw with these four bunheads doing the the audition dance when the the camera stays on the four of them and they're just having such a wonderful time completely carefree completely happy happy is uh, seemingly under is happy is under, underrated on television and i've just, i've just loved it yeah i agree so let's uh take a quick break here listen to some music and we're going to come back with our spotlights on both spartacus and the vampire diaries so it's a big as we said earlier it's a big genre week on the televerse and uh we'll be right back after this This week we are doing uh, the first double spotlight we've done in, oh, maybe like a year? It's been a very long time since we had a double spotlight. But we are going to talk both Vampire Diaries' Stand By Me and Spartacus' War of the Damned's Decimation. That music was, of course, an excerpt of the score from the fantastic... uh, giant set piece i guess let's say at the end of the episode very operatic very much fitting what was on the screen um let's start with Spartacus. there's been a lot of talk of this fourth episode as being crucial the of course most critics were sent episodes one through four at when, before the series premiered this season and, and there was a lot of talk about big dramatic things happening that we've kind of been waiting for and episode four is where they happen what did you think of this episode? Was Did it live up to the hype? Where did you fall on it? Well, you know, when we think of big dramatic things happening on Spartacus, it usually involves characters we know and love and or hate getting disemboweled in horrible ways. Yes. And, you know, we're four episodes into a 10-episode last season of Spartacus, and it's kind of shocking that we haven't had any major deaths yet, which makes me think they're going to be piling them on in a major way over the last three or four episodes, if not fewer than that which is a little bit scary, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But for now, I, I did think that the episode did, was actually doing something a little bit different, which I really appreciated. Was uh, And I, I mentioned this, I think, the last time we had a Spartacus episode. was Even more than last time, even more than the episode we got two weeks ago, really indulging the worst aspects of the rebel camp and showing how maybe the only thing separating the Romans from the slaves is just... The, the power position. There's nothing in their characters as individuals or as a group that makes them nobler, except, you know, they have a nobler leader who can sometimes curb their worst, their worst impulses when he's around. And that's sort of it. Well, yeah. When people are hungry and they have too much time on their hands, they're a lot harder to control. And they've demonstrated that very clearly this season with with this growing, isn't it like something like 100,000 at least in Spartacus's camp? That's a lot of people. That's way too many for one person to be able to control. And as we see in this episode, as soon as you have a breakdown in that central group of, of commanders or, or, you know, the, the, the lieutenants, shall we say, of Spartacus, everything kind of goes to hell. Yeah. And I think it's going to be heartbreaking if, because, you know, they're going to be they have got they've got a lot of room to play loose with exactly what Spartacus's downfall is. If he even has one, they don't have to do that <laughs> if they don't want to. Um, 
you know, if it ends up being the result of a whole lot of internal struggle, I think that's going to be really heartbreaking to watch. Absolutely. When you, when you look in history texts, Crixus and Spartacus were very closely involved. They were basically the, the two leaders of that. Everybody knows Spartacus because of Kirk Douglas, but Crixus was a very central figure in this as well. And that's why I think the the potential for a central betrayal here is it, it's it's very effective. Right. Uh, then, of course, the other half of the episode, we have Tiberius and uh, what and what goes down with the soldiers. And I, I think what's I, I don't think the, that half of the episode would be so effective if that climax weren't juxtaposed with the climax in the camp. And we got that fantastic sequence intercutting the two. Um, and I, I, first of all, Crassus, I, I'm sorry, I don't I don't have handy the name of the guy who plays him. Um, but, uh, I'm always impressed when Spartacus manages to find an actor with gravitas who will also drop trout. <laughs> I did actually notice that usually for the main cast and the, especially the more significant dramatic performances or the roles that require a more significant dramatic performance, it's a top half, go for it, bottom half, not so much. And, uh, yeah, that, I, I'm glad I'm not the only person who was like, I guess they're going for it. Okay. <laughs> sure. Yeah, hey, only, only, only six episodes left, man. You're only going to have so many opportunities. And that's Simon um, Merrill's, uh, who's fantastic as Crassus. Yeah, he's so good. And, uh, he's, I feel like he steals every single one of those scenes on the, uh, on the Roman camp. Was I the only one hoping Tiberius would get decimated? Oh, I was really hoping for it. And I was I was a little disappointed when it didn't happen. But at the same time, the scene of him beating his friend to death was pretty damn effective. The bones popping through. I felt like that was yep. that was new, right? That that Yeah, that was a new wrinkle they added ooh, this season. <laughs> ooh, that is tough. Yeah. Yeah. It's that I love that they keep finding new and exciting ways to like create skin curdling violence. Cause it's honestly, they've kind of run out, you know, and, and the way that actually, cause earlier, cause we already talked about, of course, Crassus uh, has, has a nude scene, but the, the way that they've managed to distinguish in tone, the, the various love scenes, like the one we get with Crassus and his uh, slave who he's, you know, clearly emotionally involved with is, is very, it's it's explicit, but it's also very loving and and uh, sensual and kind, as opposed to the more shall we say athletic outings of Gannicus <laughs> and some of the other. Like they've done a really good job of differentiating. It's not just you know sometimes, uh, especially on something like Game of Thrones, everything just feels like sex position, and it doesn't feel like you're really getting a character in in the the, the explicit scenes, the love scenes, or nudity. But in Spartacus, you get that both there and also in the violence. They've done a really good job, like you said, of not only differentiating the violence between the different camps, Spartacus and the Romans. And of course, this week we get the pairing of the two as Crassus has made his army more and more like Spartacus's. But they, it hasn't gotten old yet, and it should have. Yeah. Um, how did you feel about the stuff with Caesar in the camp? Um, I thought, you know, of course you don't want it. To, you know, you're watching going, come on, guys, look over there. He's smirking. Look, watch, catch the smirk. <laughs> uh, but and so that obviously that means that they're that they're doing their job. But it was very familiar. I did think the scene with him and the female Roman slave was quite good. Yeah, that was a really good moment of wait a second. Who are the heroes in this show again? 
Well, yeah. Because, except Spartacus. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see if they are willing to get their hero's hands dirty. Because so far they aren't. But if... Uh, for, in the case of Spartacus, yes. Like, I, I was actually sort of thinking that he was going to kill uh, what's-her-name near the end. Yeah. Um, but even Gannicus, really, this is the first week we see Crixus. Of course, Navia already has her hands dirty. But yes, but that's yes, very does. much explained by the horrors she witnessed and as being not her, not normal her. This is maybe this is what she is now, but this is not the character that we grew to, to know and really appreciate. And so therefore her very vengeful actions or decisions uh, can be explained. We don't get that explanation with Crixus, Organicus or Spartacus. And now, and so the, when when Crixus goes over the edge this week, that's really meaningful. Do you think they're going to go over that same edge with Gannicus or Spartacus? Oh, I think that's happening. I, I feel like this episode is just the beginning. Yeah. Um, I which is what I liked about it. I, I feels like we're just over, like, like we're just teetering on the edge of a total abyss that we kind of started to, to get a glimpse of when they just started executing uh, people. And you know what's really sad is. While I was watching the episode, I was thinking to myself, you know what? If I was in those, if, if I was in their position, I would have killed the Romans a long time ago. Well, that's what most people would have done, or at least turn them out. I mean, I don't understand why they're yeah. keeping them. It's not like they are going to negotiate I'm, for them. I'm pretty sure that's what, what that's what happened in real life. Is they just killed them right away when their you know, their own people are starving? They're not going to feed prisoners. That's ridiculous. That's not how you function as an army. Uh, and and that's not how you run a revolution. That's certainly not how you run a revolution. Kira would have thoughts on that, but that's for another time. Um, but right. uh, I, the last thing I want to mention is we, we touched on it earlier, but the score this week is fantastic. Yeah, especially like, Spartacus always has good music, but they really did not skimp this week on the epicness. The composer is Joseph Loduca. Well done, sir. Very, very appropriate scoring this week. But let, let's move on to the Vampire Diaries, because for me, this was the clear winner this week. I was blown away by this episode, Stand By Me. It, it had me thinking of The Body from Buffy, which is one of their best episodes. I don't think it's in the same you know, space as The Body, but this has got to be one of the best episodes Vampire Diaries has done. And when they can put out episodes like this with such fantastic performances from all involved and such excellent plotting to make everything kind of come together, it just makes their their poor episodes, which has been an unfortunate percentage of the season, stand out even more ridiculously. When you can do episodes like this, why are you spending so much of your season on crap of the, of the characters sitting around a table at the high school telling each other how they feel? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing how three or four weeks ago, I think you and I were both just like, Ugh, I was ready to quit show. the show. If I had, I would have quit yeah. the show if I hadn't been reviewing it for Sound on Sight. So thank you to Sound on Sight. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, it was a really good episode. Probably the best of the season. Uh, actually, almost certainly the best of the season. And I think... I mean, I'm not totally sure if it makes all the grudgery worth it. Like, I don't if, think if it, it does. Because it, it, there was so much of it. There was so much of it. Like, if, if I was getting somebody started on this season, I think I would recommend maybe, like, four episodes to watch instead of there's been, what, 15? Yeah. Yeah, I really like the memorial episode we got earlier this season. So I guess the premiere and memorial, and then I would just tell him, go to Wikipedia and read the summaries and then jump in 
with this uh, like one. with last week's episode i would yeah. say yeah yeah but the i mean obviously this this episode centers around jeremy's death and the various characters reactions to it and when i was watching it first of all the performances from from the entire main cast are are excellent i, I think uh nina dobrev is fantastic as as elena and the, the, you know both hysterical elena denial elena shut off elena she's she's great throughout but also i was really surprised by zach roig who plays matt because normally matt is a nothing character for me i don't really i'm at the point where i don't really care about matt as much as i do think he serves an important role on the show as the human <laughs> the human yes the one but he was really good here and it had me wondering where is this you know if, if he can get performances like this why aren't they giving him more to do? Yeah, I mean, there was some stuff in the episode that I thought wasn't wasn't great, to be honest. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, there was a lot of good stuff, but I, I'm still frustrated with Bonnie. Like, I, I understand that now she's in the thrall of Silas or whatever, but I, it's really hard to draw, draw a distinction between Bonnie being an idiot and Bonnie being under some mystical spell. <laughs> like, it, have you noticed there isn't much difference? I'm good with crazy Bonnie. I just don't like stupid Bonnie. Yeah, I kind of feel like we're like they're still determined to give us some stupid Bonnie, whether it's via magical means or not, which I still find frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, like uh, I thought Caroline was typically great in the episode. I, she had some really good scenes. I uh, I wish she hadn't spent half of her scenes just trying to trying and failing to reach Tyler for some reason. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. But I do think actually some of the best parts of the episode for me were actually watching. Um, both Stefan and especially Damon, Ian Summerholder is the secret weapon of the show. Actually, it's not really a secret. He's, you know, the most reliable performer on the show. But especially the, when they get back, when Damon and Bonnie get back, and he is asked to talk with Stefan, and he's she's just, she's nuts. She's crazy. And lays out everything that's happening. The, the way that they handle that scene i thought was really great the way that uh this the really gentle approach that Wes, paul wesley gives to to stefan when he's trying to figure out how he should deal with elena i think works really well and then just something that we talked about earlier before we started recording the fact that they have jeremy start to rot that they bring in meredith fell these are details that i think work really well yeah, like th- that particular de- detail, I thought that's the Vampire Diaries I like. Like that's where they come up with these horrible little things that like other writers' rooms wouldn't come up with or wouldn't dare touch. You know, it's like we know that they have super smell. Like so, of course, it would make sense that they would start to pick up on that that particularly horrible detail. They burnt up Jeremy Good this week, <laughs> which means he ain't coming back. Which I'm very happy with because it, both because I hate it when shows revive people in general. And because I don't care about Jeremy. Um, so I, I care about characters' reactions to him dying, but I don't actually care about him. Yeah. Um, so I was happy with the ending in particular. Yeah, I thought uh, that I, I, there's a couple things that this episode does incredibly right, as far as I'm concerned. And one of them is having Stefan and Caroline immediately know that Jeremy is dead and he's not coming back. The show has brought people back so many times, you know, with various phlebotinum excuses that you needed to to have people that we trust and we, you know, accept as experts in this 
on the other side so that so that you can you have the appropriate perspective on Elena's reaction. So that was one thing I thought they did very well. Another thing I thought they did very well was having that I was afraid they weren't going to do, but then luckily they did was Julie Pleck, who's the showrunner, but also wrote this episode has Elena not even consider going with Bonnie's plan and going with Silas. Yes. Because yes. Elena Absolutely. never would. And so they don't stretch that out over several episodes. They don't have her crazed by her brother's death to the point where she's going to commit this horrible atrocity and then she just barely comes back yeah, at that, the last second. That's more of a Bonnie move, yeah, sadly. And I hope that, that, and that's something I talked about in my review. The reason that it doesn't bother me that it looks like they're going that way with Bonnie is that I actually believe that this Bonnie would follow through. And so, whereas Elena never would. So I like that they stay true to Elena's character. And and if they're going to go somewhere down that, that, that line, I feel like they're going to have to... I think I feel like they're going to need some irreparable situation or re- resolution to Bonnie. Um, so any final th- things you want to mention about Vampire Diaries this week? I'd be, it would be nice if the rest of the season was on this gear and not the one we got before. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Shut Off Elena and... I know I've already said it, but I got to say it again. Nina Dobrev, man, she was good this week. All season long, they've been, Stefan and and Damon keep trying to protect her and leaving her out of the loop and saying things like, she's not going to be able to handle this. This is what's going to push her over the edge. And it it hasn't fit with the character. It hasn't made sense. This week, it made sense. Yeah. It was nice to finally get that paid off. And And it lived up to it. I really liked the choice they made to have um I don't know if you remember but in that scene when they when they when Stefan sorry when Damon shuts her off there's like a really big music cue mm. which rises and rises and rises over this one shot and then it ends and the shot keeps going and then we cut to break like that was yeah. a nice little editing scoring choice and performance choice as well. Yeah. The uh the the, the another another strong editing choice. I actually really liked the montage of the house burning. I thought that worked well. It had an appropriate length and really cuz it's something that one of the other reviews I read this this week brought up. There's a permanence to a central location like that being destroyed on a show like this that actually a character death doesn't even have. Because the number yeah, of people like that come... that house has been in every single episode, and the number of incredibly significant moments for each of these characters that have happened there is is it's huge, and th- to have that loss, it really cements. No, we aren't we aren't kidding. Jeremy's dead. If only they'd done it while Klaus was still trapped inside. Let's not talk of him. He's not in this episode. <laughs> we don't need to. You know. <laughs> Thankfully, Fair he's enough. not around, and uh, Tyler's not around, and there was plenty going on. We didn't need them. I was glad they didn't appear. I was also very glad Catherine didn't appear. That was the best solution. Just she's gone. We haven't seen her for the past, yeah. you know, season. Why should we see her now? Yeah. But uh, yeah. So thank you, the Vampire Diaries, for this wonderful episode this week. Please do this if you can do this. Then don't do the other More thing. More than you've been doing it, yes. Yes, that that would be very nice. So, uh, let's, but let's uh, let's move on though. A, a few show notes before we go to our DVD shelf. Of course, our intro and outro music is "Sweet Petite" by the Bicycles. You can find a post up at soundonsite.org where there will be a uh, a post for this this episode. You can leave us comments there. Of course, you can also leave us comments uh, or ratings and reviews in iTunes. We have an M4A chaptered feed as well as an MP3 unchaptered feed. We would love to get some more. Uh, ratings or reviews. Of course, you can email us 
us, theteleverse at gmail.com. If you would like to get in on the amazing race pool, that is a fabulous way to do it. And we will hook you up as well as the survivor pool that Dan is running that we are not involved with. I, I can hook you up if you email me there. Of course, we're both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse. You are? I'm at Sucker Howl. And we're on Facebook now. What? Yes. What? So go ahead and like us on Facebook. If you know, we we'll post the various reviews that are happening at Sound Aside TV there, as well as the episodes. And we would love to get in conversation with you guys. Let us know uh, what you're watching, what you want to talk about, what uh, what you've enjoyed this, you know, in any given week. Uh, oh, how could I forget? What should our question of the week be? So I'd like to know where people stand on our Oscars debate. Should you watch? Should you complain? Should we just ignore it until Ampus withers and dies as it very well should? I mean, I'd like to know which side of the divide you're on. Or if or if you're like everyone else on the, on the internet and you watched it and you hated it and you're outraged and you need to voice your outrage on Twitter because that makes you feel important. I have no bias about this whatsoever. Yeah. See, I feel the need to voice my outrage in favor of it on Twitter because that makes me feel important. Yeah. There you go. You're a better person than I am. We've acknowledged <laughs> it. That is incorrect. But let's take a break here, listen to a clip and some music, and come back with Chris Pierce of Television Zombies to talk Caprica. I lost my daughter. Me too. A group known as Soldiers of the One is responsible for the bombing. The STO espouses a monotheistic religious philosophy, advocating the worship of a single, all-knowing, all-powerful God. In the name of the one, we cast out the many. So say we all. What would you do if you had the chance to, to be with your daughter again? This is a cybernetic life. It's still a machine. It's artificial skin, cold, eyes, dynamics. Yes, but these are surface details. That's what we always tell our children, isn't it? What matters is on the inside. You can't call me soul. So you really want to serve God? Or do you want to be God? Our daughters, they're gone. You yes, know this. Yes, but <laughs> what if they could come back? Televerse. This is Kate Kulzik, joined as ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, we are going to Prequel Land, our first uh, TV series prequel. There's a couple more of these coming later this year, but we figured we would start it off with Caprica. And here to help us discuss the show is is from Television Zombies, Chris Pierce. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. So what made you want to talk about Caprica? Uh, because you wouldn't let me take Terminator the Sarah Connor Chronicles. <laughs> Yeah, there is that, I suppose. So were you just going down the, the Bear McCreary hit list? No, I, <laughs> that's actually uh, an interesting uh, coincidence there. I, I do like Bear McCreary's work a lot. But no, I think I was just looking at my own personal DVD shelf, and I was like, you know what? Caprica is a troubled show, but it 
had a lot of really fascinating elements, and it does still stand on its own as a one-season DVD show. It's it's still pretty cool in and of itself. I should mention before I forget that uh, for those listeners who got very excited for a moment, the reason that we didn't we aren't doing Sarah Connor Chronicles is because someone else has already called dibs on that. So there will be <sighs> Sarah Connor Chronicles uh, DVD shelf in the future. It's not we we aren't just biased against that show or anything. It's somebody else already had dibs. But you, I would absolutely agree with you. I do think it's a flawed series. Uh, of course, anybody who listened to our our DVD shelf with with Josh Spiegel of Masterpiece Cinema about Battlestar knows that you know perhaps Simon and I had different takes on Battlestar, but we both really did like it, especially its high points. And so going into Caprica, of course, when I first saw this, I, I actually have the the DVD of the original pilot that came out before the series even. You know, yeah. when, when I have that sitting downstairs on my on my DVD shelf, and I I actually there's a lot about this show that I really like, but I still think that, you know, it, it's definitely a flawed series, and it's for me at least it's nowhere near Battlestar in in terms of execution and um and, and some of the the plotting, but I really like the approach that that the creators, uh, you know, Ron Moore and Remy Obishan took when they decided they were going to do a prequel to Battlestar. I very much appreciate that they didn't just go. Let's go to the first Cylon War, and we'll have space battles there. You know, it was, it was good that they changed it up. They that they went for a different genre. I think it was very ambitious. I think it was. It, it, in fact, that that might have been a big part of its downfall was was being too ambitious in how many sort of hard sci-fi concepts they set out to tackle. You know, they 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 were covering everything from religion to. Uh, ethnicity, uh, artificial intelligence, virtual reality and gaming, a ton of stuff like that all mixed together. And I think it's I think it's the last time we, we've had real hard sci-fi TV in quite a while. I mean, maybe some of Fringe might count, but that that's pretty hard stuff that they were trying to tackle with the show, which, which I appreciate their ambition. Yeah, absolutely. Simon, what was your relationship with Caprica? Had you seen any of it before uh, this shelf? I had seen none of it, and as previously established in our Battlestar shelf, I think I really like Battlestar. I, I think the high, as you said, the high points are really high. Not so crazy about the mysticism element that takes over in the second half of the series, and I think I I was a little dispirited to find out pretty early on in Caprica that the mysticism aspect is, if anything, even more prominent here. And uh, I, I sort of know what you're talking about, but I think that the mysticism element in Caprica was more of a sociological take on things. You know, they, they were they were examining how how the people viewed religion. It wasn't as much uh, the idea that there is some supernatural other force or anything along those lines. Yeah, I I, I can see that, but I, I guess what I what, my real discovery watching Caprica is I I, I don't feel like the plotting is necessarily more over the top or or soapy than we than what we got in Battlestar. I think it's just easier to it's easier for me to ignore those plotting elements when there are also big old space battles happening. <laughs> so th that that for me was one issue. I think there are some issues with the cast and with and more specifically with a, a lot of the characters. Um, I feel like if you look at the ratio of characters that I actually was engaged with. In Battlestar versus here, I think it that's not a very kind comparison, unfortunately. You've got a great point there, Simon. Um, creating likable characters within this show. I mean, there's just so much sort of crime and backstabbing in the show that uh, it's kind of hard to latch on to 
you know, who's who's my point of view character? Who who's yeah. the character that I'm rooting for in well, this? That and I think the the relative humorlessness and the grimness of the scenario compared. I mean, it's it, it, you you would think that a show in which you've got you know all of mo- most of the human race alive instead of only a few thousand ragtag survivors would be a little bit more cheerful maybe than Battlestar, but no. If anything, it's even grimmer and more bleak. However, we've got a relatively small sample size of episodes because it only went for the one season, basically, what, I think like 19 hours or something of of television. Yeah. And I think that they did make some adjustments halfway through the series. I think that, like, the first half was definitely a little um, slow and and the characters were were a little too dark. And halfway through, I think they really picked up the pace and and tried to give us some some characters like – make make characters like Sam Adama and um, Lacey Rand a little more likable and a little bit more somebody that we could root for. Well, when you talk about both of these shows, I mean, they're they're shows with ridiculous – casts and i mean that in the best possible way and looking you know when i remember when the casting kept was coming out for caprica when it was you know just in the the conversation stage before they had even started filming this cast is ridiculous i, I know i just said that, but you have eric stoltz isa morales morales uh paula malcolmson sasha royce uh polly walker there's this cast is full of yeah. actors that i really admire and that who and who have done fabulous work on various shows of course you know we have deadwood and rome you know actors in this and those are two shows that i love i was actually really struck by by how despite the fact that i am big fans of most of especially the the adult cast i'm a big fan of most of these actors there are still not very many characters or even performances that I was able to latch onto in the way that I, I was with Battlestar. And I think, you know, the, the when you guys were talking about the likability of the characters, the the one word, Simon, that you said that immediately stuck out to me, and I would absolutely agree with, is humorlessness. The, the easiest way to get an audience to connect with a character, regardless of if they're a good guy, a bad guy, if they're, you know, adult, child, anything, is to make them funny. There's nobody funny on this show. <laughs> and it's kind of surprising in a way when you think about it, because the show's, the show, like, for at least the first several episodes was, was really being run by Jane Spenson, and she was definitely a big part of, you know, the writing room and producing staff and she's got a really great sense of humor in yeah, most of hilarious. what she writes yeah i know so it is a little surprising i think it just sort of shows that this show had almost a disconnect with, with between maybe what the network was trying to go for and what the producers might have been trying to go for which goes back to like the initial creation of the show where like basically behind the scenes this wasn't originally designed to be a Battlestar galactica prequel this was designed like Remy Abushan had written a script about um, artificial intelligence and sci-fi was just trying to maybe do a spinoff of Battlestar Galactica. When the writer's uh, strike hit, I'm trying to like remember exactly the year, but that was somewhere around 2008, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was somewhere around there. And they were just like, OK, we've already got this sort of completed script. Let, let's push push this into development. And, and the writer's strike sort of kickstarted that this was going to actually happen well and i can't decide if that if this show would be better or or worse d- 
separated out from its Battlestar roots because I actually think a lot of what does work for me in this uh, is is the the the, the socio political element to it. If you you know when you were listing off yeah. earlier, Chris, like the the various things that they're tackling for me by far the most interesting is the racial struggle, the the Toron element Definitely. to it. And I really connect with the Adams and the Nadama family. I think there's really strong performances throughout that that group of characters, especially. And every time they would go back to to the the V Club or the the grieving, especially Mother Paula Malcolmson's character, I I just would disconnect. I I didn't care. I didn't care about Sister Clarice. I wanted to really love Polly Walker because I like I said earlier, I'm a big fan of her work. But I didn't care about Sister Clarice and that element to the story, the religious element. I really did connect in, though, with the 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 when when you know that Joseph Adama is eventually going to become a civil rights attorney to find out, yeah. find him here as a mob lawyer, basically not necessarily a good guy, very tied into the mob. His mother-in-law is a former assassin, as we find out. Um, right. It's it's re- that's really interesting, and I think that's the the single way in which this being a prequel doesn't hurt it i'd agree with a lot of what you said you, you hit on a lot of points there and um let me think uh trying to take them almost like one at a time but the adama family i i, I got into their story a little bit more they're a little bit more relatable because they're as a grieving victim you know they lose their their daughter and and what, joseph adama also lost his wife in this sort of terrorist attack that kicks everything off they they, they come from a crime family but somehow you can relate to their pain a little bit more. Daniel Greystone, on the other hand, does some very, very underhanded things to sort of move his career forward. And, and, and he even exploits his daughter in some pretty terrible ways throughout the sh- series. Um, but the stuff that I really did connect with most was, was a lot of dealing with that ethnicity where, where they call Torons dirt eaters and, and they look down on them as second class citizens. It's It's fascinating because at the same time, this show is very progressive in terms of like um, Sam Adama is openly gay and married and that's totally not a big deal. And like, there's other political issues like that, that today we, we deal with, but they've passed by. Well, and not to mention stage. Clarice and her harem. Right. <laughs> right. Her, her that, marriage, which, which is, is a little more creepy. out there. Um, yeah. I guess it's, it's creepy because of who she is really. But I, I, when you're talking about Daniel Greystone, I think one of the, one of my biggest red flags early in the series is uh, the, the characterization of Daniel in general, I, I found really tricky. And also the way that he's meant to be brilliant, but does so many very stupid things. Uh, for instance, um, there's that board meeting, I think in episode five, when he pitches his company on, uh, on mass producing these robots and using them for manual labor. And he actually says something like, they're, you know, they'll do anything we want. We, they'll do anything we want them to do. They're sentient. I'm like, wait a second. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> does not compute. Exactly. Right. Literally no, does not compute. You have compute. a point. And yet, don't you sort of feel like th- there could be at some point a, a, a problem with with AI? I mean, the the idea of the um, uh, of the intelligence just sort of hitting that that point where it might get a little too smart. At least oh, no, it, that, it, it that... strikes me as in in Joseph Campbell sort of terms of you know like. The, the 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 child you know wanting to destroy the father and, and that sort of mythological s- struggle I, I I find that 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 actually that DNA is in this show and I kind of like it I, I I find that struggle interesting I just found that the way he I, I the, the way he framed it as we you know like 
he wants to have this this labor force that can be that can never tire and et cetera, et cetera, is great. But then why would you make them intelligent? That why just would seems you to give them the purpose. yeah free will and intelligence if you if you just if you want just them want to labor move force. boulders? They don't yeah. need to be sentient. It's worse if they're sentient. Right. Yeah. I think that if it was somebody other than Eric Stoltz, it probably could have fallen apart right there. I think it honestly was helped by somebody of an actor of his caliber. Absolutely. Yeah. Whereas personally, I, I actually was never too much of a fan of Isai Morales as Joseph Adama, which I think they started to slowly downplay that character as the series went on. I liked him actually quite a bit, but uh, I do <clears> think that there was, like I said earlier, there was a strange disconnect for me between characters that I like or performances that I like and actors that I you know, have a prior relationship with or, or really uh, enjoy. And I think a big example of that is Paula Malcolmson. It, it takes so long for the writers to really find that character and to, to make her work. When when in the pa- final few episodes, when they're, they're going to try to find Zoe and she starts actually having agency and taking the lead and not just following Daniel around, all of a sudden that character really works for me. And I think the the performance from Malcolmson in when, when she's finally gets to, to, to see Zoe and they, they, they have their scene together. It's amazing. I, I was talking with Simon. I can't imagine trying to give that performance and, and cry and be that believable when you have these little flashing light thingies right in front of your eyes. Don't know how <laughs> she did that, yeah, but, but it's fantastic. It's really hard in those early episodes to watch her play sort of weak willed and weepy for so long when you've seen her kick ass on Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Right, right. I, I, I'm with you there. Um, it, it is hard seeing somebody be passive, basically. And she's in sort of the uh, grieving mother role for for the first half, at least, and, yeah. until she sort of is sent undercover into uh, Sister Sister Clarice's sort of uh, organization. And, and then she starts being a little more proactive and a hell of a lot more likable. But at the same time, I did always like how they treated... Um, her relationship with uh, Daniel Greystone, I found it, I found it very grounded and believable in yeah. how they supported each other, especially once losing a daughter. It, it, it's a very unique situation to explore. I, I do think she does really good work in. It, maybe it's only in that one episode. I can't remember, but the the episode where she appears as a virtual manifestation of herself, and they and they have those those argue those arguments that end with the with the glitch. I think that stuff was was great. And probably some of her strongest material, which is maybe a little bit sad. But you know, one one performer that uh, I, I I no one can seem to agree on is Alessandra Torresani, who uh, who plays Zoe. I go and, back and forth. Yeah, and I I feel like for me, like she, yeah, she she's got some some good material, and she's she's very striking to look at, which is important when you're going to be seeing a whole bunch of her in various manifestations. But I do feel like she overplays the petulant aspect of the character. Right. Uh, yeah, quite you, a lot. you don't know whether Zoe is a full-on villain or not. It it really it really toys with you. Yeah, it's hard to know for, for me how much of the my problems with that character. I have a lot of problems with Zoe as a character. I don't think she, I think she needs to be far more relatable and likable than she is, because somebody needs to be. And if she's going to be the center of your show, like she is for much of this, she needs to to be far more captivating and far you have to you know be on her side or understand what she's going through and like like you said uh simon she does tend to be petulant i don't know how much of that is the performance how much of that is the direction and how much of that is the writers not really having made up their mind of 
what she's supposed to be. You know, it's something we talk about all the time with pilots and with you know the first run of a series, the first few episodes. It usually takes the writers a while to really figure out where each character is going to fit. You know, what their role is going to be on the show, what the strengths of the actor are. But even with, with Zoe, she she gets better. She the you know, it doesn't help when the character doesn't really know who she is, doesn't really have an identity the way that Zoe, you know, alt Zoe, not human Zoe, does for for most most of the early episodes. But even as it goes along, I mean, for most of these characters, the performances and and the characters became more interesting and engaging as the series continued. When you have Zoe standing on top of her fortress, just staring. Ouch! It's it's not a good performance. It's as you know. I think Torsani does have some really moving and powerful moments over the course of the series, but they they were not using her right, or they were not giving her the correct direction, or even I don't know if it was just what takes they kept in. But when she's just standing out, she looks like a spoiled child. And at this point, Zoe's not supposed to be that anymore. She's supposed to have grown. Yeah, I, I think out of the younger cast, I think the strongest is. Probably uh, Genevieve Book, uh, Bookner, who plays uh, Tamara. Mm-hmm. I think oh, she's really? actually quite good. Yeah, I, I actually think I'm she's... afraid I'd actually like completely disagree. I, I, <laughs> I found her stuff just like that was when I checked out a lot of the time. I felt, see, I felt she was very flat. See, that's how I feel about Lacey. Lacey, for some reason, I I was more into. Wow. Well, whatever. I mean, this is a show. Like anyone listening to this, your mileage may vary. Yeah. Uh, where do you stand, Kate? <laughs> well, for, for me, I, I actually think the. Um, I think Tamara, there's some, again, there's some issues with them not knowing what the character is supposed to be necessarily or how she's supposed to, to function. I really, really didn't care for Thunderdome. I'm sure lots of other people like that part of the series. But uh, when she's, you know, as the dead walker, she has her cult or whatever. I didn't care about that. But one of the absolute highlights of the pilot for me was was Joseph and Tamara in that V world when he's confronted with her and she's freaking out because she can't feel her heart she was she killed that scene for me i thought she was fantastic i just kept kind of waiting to have as strong of a connection with the character over the course of the series as i had in those few moments in the pilot yeah there was a lot of i I connect sometimes with the ideas more than the actual execution this is a show that like i think benefits for if you're going to watch it on Netflix or DVD sort of watching it all at once. Cause you can sort of explore the ideas and, and, and see them make it, the adjustments and sort of correct it. When, when you were watching it week by week with huge breaks between the pilot and the first episodes and huge breaks between the first episodes and the second episodes, then they canceled it and ran the last five off months later. It was, it was really hard to watch it that broken up, but I think it benefits some from watching all together and the ideas in it are really, really strong. The, the execution has some issues. I would absolutely agree with what you said uh, earlier, Chris. This this is hard sci-fi. And that's one of the things... I mean, I would say that there was actually quite a bit of that in Fringe, for for me at least. I, yeah. get, I like to read into stuff and analyze stuff that might not actually be there. But when if you're going to... If you're interested in hard, hard sci-fi and the examination of what is the self, what is a soul... All of that, I, there's a lot of really great stuff to, to, to sink your teeth into with this series. And I think that's probably how they got s- such a great cast to come together for this. So, like, it's the Battlestar guys, and this these are the kind of topics that they're, that they're interested in exploring. And perhaps this co- series could have really grown with a little more time to find its footing. I um, think so. But, uh, but, yeah, you're right. There is definitely a lot of really interesting material there. At the same time, earlier you were weighing, Kate, 
whether or not the series would be better served just as a show instead of as a Battlestar prequel. And when you were telling me about their plans for season two and how it was going to connect to the final five and all that, I kind of, I, I kind of land on the side of I think it would have been better served just being its own thing and okay. explore, exploring those issues that way, Is especially because then it doesn't have the weight of being a prequel series and knowing how this ultimately all goes, which is which it, it, it seems like a basic thing, but it is a huge attraction for me. Right. They tied it into Battlestar very well. They, it, it, but yeah. I think that if they had been free of that, they might have been able to give us some some more of the humor, some more like, you know, likable, active protagonists, just because you wouldn't have any obligations to to sort of set that continuity in motion. You could just explore these ideas. And that's where something like, you know, Fringe benefited. Like it had a theme to the whole series. It's like, what is the identity of humanity? What is the nature of humanity? And this show had like a lot of ideas and I don't think it ever quite found its theme. Well, and it also, because it's a Battlestar prequel, it's necessarily loaded with that sense of doom because you know what's coming. Some of that's good, but it almost feels like it, it became an albatross around its neck because the idea of like knowing that these creations of Daniel Greystone will eventually doom all of humanity is a powerful, powerful idea. But having to tie in the specific, uh, you know, continuity elements is a lot of, you know, there's a lot of foundation and building blocks that they have to keep jamming in. Actually, I disagree strongly with both of you guys. This is actually, this is, this is, I'm really digging the shelf because uh, there's, there's such different takes on it. But I, I think that one of the things that this does wonderfully, that it's very smart from both the creators and then, of course, Gene Espenson, who was the showrunner, is that the only real connection to from from Caprica to Battlestar is is Joseph Adama, who you never meet in it's Battlestar. It's the silence, though. The, si the silence are there, but but for me, watching this, even you know, loving Battlestar and having seen it as many times as I have, I was able to separate out the arc of what I was watching and what was going to come later. Whereas in other other prequels, you tend, to, I didn't feel like they put the import on certain other elements that perhaps other other prequels do. I'm thinking of The Hobbit and the zoom in or whatever on the the ring, even though it doesn't matter to The Hobbit, it matters to, <laughs> it matters to Lord of the Rings. So we got to make yeah. a big deal of it in The Hobbit. And I didn't think that they made that mistake here. I would agree that perhaps the what. The closest example of that in in Caprica is the tone, the, you know, this this dour tone that they didn't need to have necessarily. But when you start any series off with a, a suicide bombing that kills the you know the the protagonist's families, it's gonna not be happy town. Yeah, well, and there's also some they also throw in some some you know quote unquote clever references like skin job toaster. Yeah, but there aren't that. I, I I don't know. Maybe because it's I relatively subtle. You're right. I didn't get to see all of the episodes. I I kind of jumped around. And by the way, if if you're interested in doing that, it's really hard to jump around in this. It's a very serialized show. Um, it is a serialized show. It's one that demands that you pay attention. You can't really play Sudoku on your iPhone while it's on in the background. Yeah, it's not going to work. <laughs> Which I actually <laughs> I very much appreciate. Um, but I, I guess I just I it could have been. It sounds terrible. It could have been a lot worse. I actually think this oh, is yeah. one of the, the better handlings of how to do a prequel. Don't have any of the same characters. And I actually love the way that they subvert that. Spoiler alert, but you think that the, the son is Bill, and then he gets killed. 
Yeah, if you really, really were a huge fan with, of Battlestar Galactica, which I, I was, I kept wondering about that because I go, the timeline on this does not match up. Like, they very specifically said it was like, you know, 58 years before, and you sort of know about how old Adama is, and you're like, this kid would be just a little too old. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it really, you know, it, it was nice that in a way, even though it was canceled, that first season kind of stands on on its own it doesn't it didn't need to keep going yeah the the the, the uh flash forward ending is it feels a little tacked on but it is a little but at the same time it it's it not too bad it. yeah yeah and i think we we've been rather you know critical in our discussion i want i'm ready to heap some praise on here first of all i think the I'm pilot afraid. is actually is is really strong and i love that that final set piece at the end that's amazing they they yeah. needed more like that over the course of the series but the the way that everything comes together at the end that is a really solid finale yeah it made me wish that the show had more set pieces like that especially like i get that it's bold to go from an action series or an action oriented series like battlestar to a much more talky series like this but i i did feel like there were some episodes where I, I was hurting for some action, and maybe maybe that goes against the hard sci-fi element. But especially because, and again, maybe this is kind of cheap, but it it was so strange to me to hear Bear McCreary's dogfight theme applied to scenes where people are just talking. Uh, <laughs> that was a little odd to me. But there there are a lot of positives. I think I think that uh, actually Bear McCreary's orchestral theme throughout this is really really strong. A lot of the yeah. time, he's created some really good character pieces. You don't hear quite as much of the um, sort of different colony themes because that's not quite as important, but they're sprinkled in. Um, I mean, Bear McCreary always does awesome work. That guy will be doing films pretty soon. So the show is no, lucky to I have him. I want him on my TV. I do too. But I mean, the guy is so talented. Well, and he's doing great work on The Walking Dead right now. Yeah, no we, we love him no. at the televerse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to dig into some television zombies episodes, uh, that was one of my favorite interviews to do was with Bear McCreary fascinating guy um i thought the show had fantastic fx when it did you know it, it's a sci-fi show so their budget is not what a network show is but when they decide to show off a cylon or have a dogfight or something along those lines or even certain establishing shots of the cities i thought they did a really good job with it it, it was uh, I, limited I, but it was good yeah i it's once you get into the palette like i, I actually really liked the as much as i wasn't a, a fan of new cap city being an even bleaker version of caprica like come on guys but um but i did like the but i did like the execution of, of new cap city and the episodes that were set there for that reason yeah yeah i i think that um one thing that was great that they didn't use nearly enough of was the fact that they had Patton oswalt as uh a, a, you know a talk show host baxter Sarno. that yeah. could have been like so much more of a source of humor if they found a way to integrate him i mean what i mean Patton was was just coming into like the height of his power right then and the fact that they had him, I just wish they'd exploited him more. But he was great whenever he showed up. He was like a little beacon of funny every time he showed up. He's doing like these, you know, these really predictable, kind of groan-worthy to some extent late-night monologue jokes. They're not right. amazing. You you can see where they're going a mile off, but they're so perfect for for that character and what what he's supposed to be. And it was yeah. it was just a little like a little beacon of funny and awesome every yeah. time he showed up. And his scenes, like especially in the interview with with the Greystones, like some of that, a lot of that dialogue does not feel scripted. Like it, it feels like he's just riffing. It, and it's great. It brings. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised to find out if if some of it was in a way. Like if they gave yeah. him 
questions, gave the characters, you know, some of their answers and just sort of let them improvise a little bit more than normal. Yeah. And the, the show could have definitely used more spontaneity like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that Sasha Ruiz was sort of a, um, a bit of a discovery in this show. Mm-hmm. He was, I think, intended to be a smaller supporting character, but Sam Adama was maybe my, my, my favorite character by the end. He was just, he was proactive. He was confident in who he was. You know, he was totally comfortable in his own skin. And yet he was like a man of, of lots of contradictions. And I, I found him really great. He's been one of the, the actor's been one of the highlights of Grimm for a while now. And so, cause I remember liking the character when I first saw the original pilot, but I didn't make the connection of the actor. So then when I was going back here after having seen Grimm, and, wa- yeah. and watching it, I saw the name come up. I was like, wait, a- oh, my God, that's right. That's Sam. I knew I liked that guy. <laughs> well, and there's also like there's a couple of uh, very fine actors who show up in kind of honestly nothingy parts for me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I, I, I do really like James, James Marsters in this, even though I don't I don't find him to be all that interesting as an antagonist. Um, also, I just wanted to mention, since we're talking about James Marsters, of course, he was Spike on Buffy. Anybody else a little thrown by the Esmondson connection, considering they're the family of Willows, and then there's Xander. There's Xander as well, Cyrus Xander. So yes. we have Xander and Willow in your character names. That felt a little strange to me. It, definitely. I, I kept going, like, how intentional is this stuff? Like, is this stuff coming from others, or did... Jane, like, want to somehow reference Buffy? Because Buffy's a very different show from this. Yeah, I was a little, I was a little sort of thrown when I, when I know, especially when you do have James Brushers in there amongst your cast, it was, it was a little right. odd for me. But it is, it was something that Simon and I had been talking about a little earlier. I've, I'm a big fan of James Marsters. I think he's actually, as you can see from his work on Buffy, I think he's a really uh, talented actor and he doesn't seem to get good enough roles or interesting enough. He, he makes the most out of them. Right. But he he's needs... very charismatic. He's very yeah. charismatic. And and right right when he showed up on this was when he was sort of doing guest star roles in everything, sort of playing rogues. He was always... Yeah. He, he, Torchwood. You know, he, he's, and, yeah, yeah, Torchwood and fucking Hawaii Five-0. <laughs> But there are there are others though. There's there's uh, Scott Porter, of course, QB one, and yeah. James, John Piper Ferguson. I, I love John Piper Burgess. Ferguson. Burgess was a great character. John Piper Ferguson has apparently some sort of contractual obligation to, to show up in every Canadian shot series ever, <laughs> uh, and he's he's really good. Um, I t- Scott Porter is kind of a one hit wonder for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I thought he was good in this. I, I liked the, at least because for me, maybe it's because of that association I have with Friday Night Lights, but I always sort of trust him <laughs> when I see, you know, I, he feels like a very trustworthy figure. And so then to to throw him in with this sort of culty feel where you don't know how much of it, especially the way he's introduced. Yeah, I, I think the way he's introduced is... um. Is, is is interesting where I immediately want to trust him, but then don't. So, so I thought that that contrast worked well. Of course, I also like Terrell Rothery, who uh, who Stargate fans will know as, as as the doctor from Stargate. So seeing her in, again, another supporting small role. This cast is filled with that guy's. Yeah, no, they, they might as well at this point create Vancouver, the TV show, and give us like all of our favorites from every genre <laughs> show, just bumping into each other. Oh, and the only reason there are, you know, some of the other staples weren't in this show is because they were on Battlestar and it would be distracting. So, yeah, unfortunately, yes. Michael yeah. Hogan, Michael. Yeah, exactly. You, you knew he was around the set somewhere. 
Yeah, he was just hanging out in the background going, good job, kids. Uh, get me another Mountain Dew. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, for me, I guess for my final thought, we, we should we should wrap it up. My final thought is it really is a shame that with all the, with such a strong cast and it, despite maybe our our disagreements about the younger uh, actors or, or characters, with such a strong cast and such really interesting ideas and concepts to play with, it's really a shame that there aren't, I don't think there's a single breakout character. I don't feel like any, I feel like most of these are types. They're not, they, none of them have the specificity that we, we got from Starbuck in her first moment on screen or a tie or Roslyn or Adama or any of the, the, the main Battlestar characters. That's Battlestar Galactica was a show that thrived for a number of reasons, but a big one was incredibly memorable characters. I just wish this show had a few. I, I suppose you're probably right. It was definitely a show more about big ideas in the end than the characters. It was it was definitely a bit more plot-driven than character-driven, and it probably should have been more balanced. I still think it holds up as just an interesting piece of uh, entertainment. I think it'll definitely get you thinking about you know society and technology, uh, which is a pretty amazing thing for a TV show to do. Yeah, Simon, any final thoughts? I think I think Kate and I are pretty much on the same page, which actually doesn't happen as often as you'd think, um, <laughs> despite our hundreds of hours of co-podcasting. Um, I, I I do feel like there's de- uh, there's a character deficit and an idea surplus, and which can be a problem as well as as a benefit. Uh, but like you said, Chris, I we we need more shows trying to do too much rather than too little, and uh, with Fringe gone. Especially, I feel like it's gonna. It may be. It may be a while before we see shows of that ilk again. I, I yeah. When are we gonna get any sort of a space opera? The only one I know that's in active development is uh, Stephen Denight is making Incursion for Stars. That's sort of a, a Halo meets Band of Brothers type show. That yeah. that could be interesting. Humans fighting space bugs, apparently. Right. Who but, knows? But uh, you know, there's Defiance is starting up this year. That on Sci-Fi That's Channel. Would we'll, we'll see what happens with that. But between watching Caprica and and I've also been watching a lot of uh, Deep Space Nine. I miss spaceships so much. I do too. I really do. I, I there's something special about the space opera genre, and I don't know. Maybe it was just that when I was growing up, if you wanted sci-fi, the only option you sort of had was you know some Star Trek: The Next Generation and syndication. And so now I'm like, where is it? It's nowhere. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. If uh, I'm sorry if you like spaceships, all we get now is superheroes. Yeah, I like those too. How about sp- superheroes in space? Guardians mm, of the might Galaxy. Be onto something. Yeah, we'll there you go. S- we'll see. Well, Chris, thank you so much for coming on. Where can our listeners find you online? Uh, TelevisionZombies.com. Um, our podcast is television zombies weekly uh so you know itunes and all the usual feeds that that you get your podcasts from we're we're around episode 240 so we've been doing this for a while but uh it was really fun to talk to you guys and and get like some some different points of view and it was just fun to like also revisit a show that's you know three years old well it's in caprica is one of those ones that i've been sort of meaning to go back and fill in as a Battlestar fan as a jane espenson fan as a fan of all these actors, it's been sort of, you know, like I said, I have the DVD sitting downstairs for the pilot, but I had never really gotten around to watching the rest of the series. So thank you for choosing it and uh, coming on the show. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 
can I just say how how did we miss like twenty weeks of general editor? General editor. Oh my goodness! <laughs> how did that? Oh god! Oh my that yeah yeah definitely. It's a sign of how much how about your mother has fallen from my mind because i do that all the time i did the of course for those who don't know we're doing the how i met your mother general editor salute uh for that but of course we don't even watch that show anymore because it's just too sad too depressing nope. for us to watch it at this state but yeah oh man good call every time now every time we record walking dead i'm gonna be doing that just what makes that little old ass Think he'll move that rubber tree plant? Anyone knows an ant can't move the rubber tree plant, but he's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. He's got high hopes. So anytime you're feeling low, instead of letting go, just remember that. Whoops, there goes another rubber tree. Whoops, there goes another rubber tree. Whoops, there goes another rubber tree plant. Curb flowers.